Hey, Hume, how you doing? You guys good? It's been so good to be here with you guys. I'm so glad to be diving into God's word together. We've talked already about how there is truth, and it's absolute, and that comes from God. It's revealed to us through the scriptures in the person and the work and the life and the ministry of Jesus. And today, this morning, as we spend time together, I really want to take what we've been talking about, which at times has felt maybe abstract or kind of out there, and I want to bring it down to our level and into our lives in a very practical and in a very real way. This morning is going to be a serious message. It's a little shorter of a message, but it's a heavy message. And so I need you to lean in with me for about the next 20 minutes. And I need you to go with me to understand what we're gonna talk about this morning. We're talking about the truth of sin. You already heard it on the video so poetically and helpfully described there, but this morning we're gonna talk about the truth of sin. On January 28th, 1986, the entire country, and in fact, large sections of the world, watched with hope and excitement as the space shuttle Challenger took off from Florida. This is a $3.2 billion space shuttle, and it was crewed by seven of the finest astronauts in the world from the NASA program. Just a few moments after takeoff, everyone watched with horror as the space shuttle disintegrated in the air, exploded, and then rained back down to the earth, killing all seven of the crew. There was a, an extensive investigation into what went wrong and what happened, and they discovered that the cause of the crash was a little piece about this big called an O-ring. And if you've ever worked with engines or anything mechanical, you'll know that an O-ring is a little plastic piece that seals a joint between two compartments. And it's intended to keep fluid from moving from one place to another place where it's not supposed to be. It turned out that that morning of January 28th was so cold that this little O-ring uh, shrunk beyond what it was supposed to be and fluid, pressurized gas, was able to get from one compartment to another compartment and it exploded a fuel tank and destroyed the entire shuttle and killed all seven of the crew. Now here's the most tragic part of that. What was discovered was that in 1977, years before the launch in 1986, there was some test data that was discovered about these O-rings that at cold temperatures, they were liable to fail. And actually leading up to the launch, there were several communications in NASA's Department of Engineering that warned about the faulty nature of these O-rings and yet this problem was ignored and it led to catastrophic failure and it led to the loss of life. I tell you that to tell you this. If you ignore a problem, you will never be able to find a solution. If you minimize or avoid a serious problem in your life, 
it is unlikely that you will search for or find a solution to that problem. And this morning, we are going to talk about the problem of sin. And this is a problem that you and I need to face up to. We cannot deny it. We cannot minimize it. We must not try to avoid it. We can't shift away from it or blame it on somebody else. We need to come face to face with the reality and the problem of sin, and we need to understand it. And so this morning, the time that we spend together is going to be a little bit like what it might be like if you went to the doctor's office and you were sick. There's three things that I want to talk about. This is what I think would happen if you went to the doctor's office. First, the doctor would identify the patient. Second, he would describe the disease. So he would tell you what exactly is going on and what is the nature of the sickness that you face. And then number three, he would give what's called in the medical world the prognosis, which is where is this going? What's going to happen next? And that's what I want to talk about. I wanna talk about three things with you. I wanna talk about who sin affects, what sin is, and where sin leads. So let's understand our problem together. I think we've got some slides up here. It'll be, it, it, we'll go like this. It, understanding our problem. Maybe we don't have slides, that's all right. Understanding our problem. Let's start here, who sin affects. And here's the truth that we have to grapple with this morning. Sin affects everyone. Sin affects everyone, and I want to show you that by actually beginning where we're spending our whole week in the Gospel of John. Jesus, uh, as he begins to teach and to minister, he begins to, he begins to uh, show himself to the world, and he begins to attract people to follow him, but he also attracts some serious opposition. And the religious leaders, they hate him, and they oppose him. They don't want anything to do with him. And eventually, in John chapter 8, they catch these religious leaders. What they do is they catch a woman who is guilty of breaking the law, and they bring him before Jesus. They bring her before Jesus, and they say to Jesus, we should stone this woman to death. And they look at Jesus and they say, what do you say? What should we do about this woman? And in John chapter eight, verse seven, it says, and as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you throw the first stone at her. And then verse eight says, and once more he bent down and wrote on the ground, but when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Now, I want you to picture this scene for just a moment. I want you to picture this big crowd with a woman who has been dragged into the middle and the religious leader saying, this woman deserves to die. Let's throw stones at her to execute her. What do you say, Jesus? And Jesus standing there says, says this, says this incredible thing. He says, let, the, let, let he who among you has no sin. If you have no sin, then why don't you take that rock in your hand and throw it at her? If you are perfect, if you have no sin of your own. And then this scene after a, a, a beautiful, brief, honest self-evaluation apparently 
All of these people who stood there knew that they were unable to say that they were sinless, and so they dropped their rocks, and one by one, the text says, they walked away. And this brief little narrative, it illustrates this sobering and necessary truth that sin affects everyone. Imagine if you were standing there and you saw that guilty woman and you had a rock in your hand and Jesus said to you, hey, feel free to throw that at her if you are perfect. If you have never done anything wrong, if you have never transgressed God's law, if you have never hurt anyone, if you have never disappointed even yourself, if you are perfect, throw the stone. And if you and I were standing there, and if we were even remotely honest, we would have to drop the rock and walk away because we are not perfect. Sin affects everyone. And the Bible tells us this clearly and repeatedly. I'm not making this up. This is not my opinion. This is what the Bible says. You see those texts on the screen. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Isaiah 53 says, all we like sheep have gone astray. 1 John 1, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Ecclesiastes 7, surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. This is what the Bible tells us. All have sinned, all have gone astray, all are underneath this curse. There is no one who never sins. I think sometimes when we think about evil and we think about sin, we like to think of it as someone else's problem because we're very good at blaming others and excusing ourselves. So we look at the evil inside of us and the twistedness and the places that we fall short and the places that we're weak and the places that we're broken and we excuse ourselves. We raise up an inner lawyer to defend ourselves and to make a case by, about why what we're doing is not so bad and God doesn't mind and it's okay and we justify and excuse ourselves. But we must not do that. We must realize today that sin is not someone else's problem. Sin is our problem. You and me here today at Hume, New England, summer 2022, sin is our problem because we're born sinners by our nature and we participate in sin by our choice. It's every single one of us, the entire human race. Sin affects everyone and we must understand that if we're going to understand this problem. But there's a second thing we have to understand because you might be saying, well, okay, fine, so sin is my problem, but what exactly is it? What is sin? Well, here's what sin is. Sin is rebellion. In one word, if I had to pick one word, it would be the word rebellion. First, we've identified the patient, and the patient is all of us. All of us are sick, and now we have to describe the disease. What is it that we have? What is it that plagues us and curses us? And it's this, it's rebellion against the God who made us. And if you go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, like the opener, the first night, it's, which it's so beautifully displayed, this story of Adam and Eve, 
We see a God who creates and rules, a God who gives clear direction to Adam and Eve, who sets boundaries for them, who invites them into relationship with him and fullness of life and the blessing of knowing and being with God. But he also gives to them a very clear warning if they disobey. He says to them, it's not like God pulled a bait and switch on them and he tricked them. God says to Adam and Eve, he says, if you eat of this tree, you will surely die. He says, with me is life and over there is death and you can choose. I'm giving you everything you need for flourishing and stability and peace and joy and life. And if you go and do what I have told you not to do, you will suffer the consequences. He was very clear with them. He revealed his will to them. And what they chose to do was rebel. And this is what sin is. What Eve did in the garden and what Adam participated in, what they chose to do together is what sin is. This is what they did, and this is what we have all done. Adam and Eve heard what God wanted for them, and they chose to do the opposite. They looked at their maker, who said, this is my design for you, and they said, no thank you, I will go my own way. I don't want to do what you want me to do, I want to do what I want to do. And that, that rebellion is what sin is. This is what sin looks like. God is a creator and he makes all things with a good design. And sin is when we distort his design and reject his creation. God is the authority and he gives the law and sin is when we transgress that law. God has the right to draw boundaries in our lives and say you should stay over here and you should not go over there and sin is when we choose to say I don't care what you say God, I will transgress your boundary. I will go past where you have said. God rightfully gives us a duty to honor him and to reflect his image to the world and sin is when we fail to keep that duty. And maybe most devastating, God is the one who in his kindness and in his love, he offers relationship to us. God wants to be with us, he wants to know us, he wants to love us, and he was so kind when he created us to welcome us into a relationship with him. And what we've done in sin is we have rejected his relationship. We have turned away from him We have spurned him. He says, I'm here for you and I love you and I want to be with you. And we say, no thanks. I don't want to be with you. A man named John Piper, a pastor, described sin this way. He said, it is the glory of God, not honored. It is the holiness of God, not revered the greatness of God not admired, the power of God not praised, the truth of God not sought, the wisdom of God not esteemed, the beauty of God not treasured, the goodness of God not savored, the faithfulness of God not trusted, the commandments of God not obeyed, 
the justice of God not respected, the wrath of God not feared, the grace of God not cherished, the prize of God not pri- the presence of God not prized, the person of God not loved. That is sin. So today, for you and for me, anywhere that our lives are out of sync with what God wants for us is sin. And I know that you in this room, because even I've spoken to some of you, I've gotten to know your names and heard a little bit of your stories, and I know for a fact that you feel the weight of sin. Some of you have told me about brokenness that you face and struggles that you have and burdens that you bear. And I'm just telling you, anywhere that you feel pain and guilt and shame and loss and loneliness and fear and anger, the root of your problem is not someone or something else. The root of your problem is your sin. Because sin affects everyone, and sin is rebellion against the good and loving God who made us. Sin is our problem, and sin is rebellion, and there's one last thing we have to talk about, which is where does sin lead? Well, here's where sin leads. It leads to death. Sin leads to death. If you've ever read the Chronicles of Narnia, you'll be familiar with the story of Edmund who gets separated from his family and he is kind of out wandering and a woman in a big carriage rolls up on him and invites him to go with her and she offers him something that's called Turkish delight. Now, here's the thing about Turkish delight. It is delicious. It looks amazing and he's been walking in the, in the wilderness for a while and he's hungry and he would love a sweet treat. And so he takes the offer of the Turkish delight and he eats it and he gets on the carriage and he goes with the woman. But what we find out through the course of the story is that what looked like a delicious treat was actually a deadly trap. It led him not to a place of joy and not to a place of health and peace and wholeness. It actually led him straight into the clutches of the white witch and put both his family and all of Narnia in danger. It was a, it was a trap. Like the video talked about, it was like a delicious piece hanging on a hook like a lure that's intended to grab you so that you can bite it and then it will yank the hook into your cheek. That's what the Turkish delight was for Edmund and that's what sin is for us. Because here's the deal, oftentimes sin looks attractive but the reality is that it is actually poisonous. It may give us a sense of fleeting pleasure for a moment, but it will never deliver what it promises. In fact, it will always be a bait and switch. It will promise you something that it cannot give to you, and what it does give to you will be infinitely worse. So where does sin lead? Well, three places that sin leads that I want to tell you about, and then we'll be done. First, sin leads to enslavement to evil. Look at these verses on the screen. 
John chapter 8, if we carried on from where we were in, in the Gospel of John, John chapter 8 and verse 34, is it on the screen there? Do we have it? We don't. John chapter 8 and verse 34, it says this. It says, anyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Anyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The reality of sin is where it leads you is to a place of being trapped And this is what the Bible says about those who don't know Jesus and don't have spiritual life is they are trapped. They are stuck in their sin until someone sets them free. Sin leads you to enslavement to evil, but sin also leads you to separation from God. Separation from God. You see, God, who is the source of all good and purity and light and beauty, he will not allow corruption and darkness and sin into his presence. And what this does is because we have sin inside of us, is it creates a gap between us and God. And Isaiah 59, 2 says, your iniquities have created a separation between you and God. There is a chasm, there is a gap that exists between sinful people and a holy God. And maybe most sobering of all, the last place that sin leads is it doesn't just lead to enslavement to evil or separation from God, it leads to punishment by death. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. Wages are what you get for what you have done. And what we are supposed to get for the fact that we have willfully rebelled against the God of the universe is death. The death penalty, if you will, belongs to all those who participate in sin. All of those who commit cosmic treason against their maker will receive the penalty of death. Now, in the garden there was physical death. But there was also a death much worse than that. Sin is the cause of all physical death, but it is also the cause of what is called in God's word the second death. There's physical death, which takes you out of this earthly existence, but there is a second death, which is the just judgment of a holy God in hell forever. And I recognize that that's an uncomfortable thing to talk about. That's a very unpopular notion in our world today. But we have a holy God who judges sin. And all who rebel against him deserve to face face the punishment that they have earned, which is hell, which is death forever. Now maybe, maybe just maybe, you're sitting in your seat and you're thinking to yourself, that's not fair that's not fair that's not right that's not good and I'm just here to tell you this morning that God is the infinitely wise and good creator of the universe and as such he is the rightful authority and judge over it all and he is a good judge Imagine for a moment if someone committed a horrible crime 
against you or someone that you love. Imagine that they hurt you, they betrayed you, they stole from you, they did something wicked and evil to you. And then that person who perpetrated the crime went to court to face a judge. Imagine how you would feel if the judge looked at the person who wronged you and said to them, eh, it's no big deal. You can go free. Don't worry about it. Would that be a good judge or a bad judge? That would be a bad judge. Uh, what a bad judge does is sweeps offenses under the rug and looks the other way and pretends like they're not a big deal. God is not a bad judge. He is a good judge. And he will do what is right and what is just. And that means he will punish sin. Now, a lot of times we look around at the world And actually, this is, like a, this is one of the primary arguments that people use for why God can't exist. Because we look around at the world and we say, look at how evil the world is. We say, how could there be a good God if there's all this evil in the world? And if we believe there's a God, it's like we look up to heaven and we say, hey God, what are you gonna do about all this evil? And God has clearly revealed to us, God says, I will punish evil and I will do it with my justice in hell. God says, I'm doing something about evil and I am setting all things right. And then we look up at God and we say, well, that doesn't seem fair. Guys, we can't have it both ways. Do you want God to do something about evil or not? And I'm telling you, you want to live in a world where God cares about evil. Because if we lived in a world where God looked the other way or swept it under the rug, that would be an evil and a foolish and a weak God. But he is none of those things. He is a good God and he is just and he is doing something about all the evil in the world. And here's the reason we want it both ways. This is why we do this. We want it both ways because we want God to do something about evil when it's someone else's evil. We just don't want God to do something about evil when it's our evil. But the problem of sin is that it affects everyone, us included. And so we need to sit with this devastating reality that we have participated in rebellion against the God of the universe and that what we deserve for that is death. We need to sit in the weight of that and feel it because if you ignore a problem, you will never find a solution. So this morning, even as you go to your cabin times, I want you to grapple with the reality and the weight of sin because my hope and my prayer is that as we come together tonight and we look to the solution for sin, that because we have dealt with the problem, we will actually have a deep desire for the solution. Sin is rebellion against God. Sin affects everyone. 
and sin leads to death in hell. And yet, here's the good news. Just a, just a glimmer. There is a way for your sin to be removed. The very bleak picture that we have painted this morning of the reality of sin, that doesn't have to be your story forever. In John chapter one, John the Baptist looks at Jesus and he says this amazing thing. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what we're gonna look at tonight. But before we get to the hope, we have to feel the weight. We have to understand the problem of sin. Let's pray. God, thank you for loving us enough to tell us the truth. God, thank you that you don't sugarcoat reality, you don't lie, you don't avoid what is real, but you communicate to us the way things really are. And God, all of us feel the burden and the weight of the brokenness of the world and the brokenness of our lives. God, we feel the weight of sin, and I am so thankful that you tell us what it is and where it leads. God, I thank you for your holiness and your justice. I thank you that you are good enough to punish sin. And God, today I pray that we would feel the weight of sin, that we would know that it is not someone else's problem, but that it's our problem that sin is our nature and our choice, that we have rebelled against you. And then God, I pray that as we feel the weight of that problem, that by your Holy Spirit, you would move us very quickly to the solution and we would run to Christ and receive forgiveness and grace that you supply. Lord, we love you. We thank you for telling us the truth. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.